Last Friday's payroll report, it was a blockbuster. It was a blowout. More than 500,000 payrolls gained in the month of January alone, at least according to the BLS, which has only raised substantial questions about the statistical processes the BLS might have used to come up with a number that is so out of line with everything else around it. In fact, none other than none other than known hawk Jay Powell this week said, yeah, we saw that big number from the BLS, but unless we see more like it, we're not likely to adjust our non-money interest rate policies. But then he went on to say, we're going to adjust our non-money interest rate policies anyway, because we still think we have work to do. But at the same time, just in the last 24 hours or so, we've gotten more than a half dozen big name companies announced that they were either uh, cutting jobs, cutting more payrolls, or going, going to seriously consider doing so. Is the payroll, is the, are, is the jobs economy really well? Is it suffering? Is it somewhere in the middle like Jay Powell makes it seem? It's billed as almost like there's a heavyweight title fight going on. And in the one corner, you've got all the ultra hawks like Cash Carry and Waller, and at times, Mr. Jay Powell himself and other irrelevant figures. You've also got the short end of the market curves, which are, if not willing to fight on the side of the Fed, they are unwilling to fight against the Fed. But on the other side of the spectrum, in the other corner of this titanic fight, uh, title fight, You've got all of these inverted curves, which means longer end interest rates, which are completely going in the opposite direction. That's the inversion. You've gotten decentralized markets that are discounting trillions of bits of information with trillions of dollars in positions on the line, using historically validated data to back up their positions. And yet the media makes it seem as though in this, this interest rate thunderdome, it is the Federal Reserve that is the prohibitive favorite. And these underdog curves are likely to be taught a lesson. A lesson in superfluous Ivy League mathematics, no doubt. Conundrums don't win in the Thunderdome. Or do they? That's what we need to figure out here. Because just this week, we got a very big sense of this real serious bifurcation, not just in economic commentary, or thoughts about what's going on in the economy, there is a same, there is a very clear divergence, again, in the marketplace itself. We've got short versus long. We've got soft landing or even too hot economy versus layoffs, lots of layoffs. We'll try to make sense of all of these things in the context of markets, money, macro, all the M's that we can possibly come up with, it is interest rate Thunderdome here at Eurodollar University. But first, I'm going to tell you that this is Eurodollar University, and I'm also going to thank you for joining me. I truly appreciate it. I'm also going to tell you about Eurodollar University memberships. We got exclusive videos and Q&A sessions where we go into the background details of money and macro, history, basic construction, fundamentals, real monetary properties. We've also got research subscriptions, a daily briefing I do in partnership with Markets Insider Pro. There's a good bundle there. Uh, all the day's macro news that you need to know, as well as some important market developments. I also do a deep dive analysis every day where we dive deep into these money and macro 
uh, arguments, issues, debates, all of these things. We evaluate the evidence and try to come up with what we believe is a useful, grounded, fundamentally sound proposition of where we are today so that we can, we can have a better idea, if not a perfect one, of where we might be going tomorrow. All the information available at eurodollar.university. Nothing exemplifies this interest rate Thunderdome as much as the two auctions in the treasury market that were conducted just this week. One on Tuesday, one yesterday on Wednesday. The one on Tuesday was for the three-year note. And as you can probably count, understanding that three is closer to the front than 10 is, the three-year note is more exposed to what the Federal Reserve is doing. Because if you're owning a three-year note, and the Federal Reserve is raising its rate or is likely to raise rates and keep them up, you have competition for your return on your three-year note. If you can get a better rate just rolling over repo, for example, why would you own the three-year note? Whereas at the 10-year note, it's a little more complicated than that because a lot of more things can happen in a 10-year period of time than in, say, a two- or three-year period of time. In balance of probabilities into the future, that's less about where the Fed thinks repo rates or, the, or going to try to push repo rates today and tomorrow, and more about what the Fed will maybe, not, maybe be forced to do, even if it's not willing to do or not willing to see that it's going to do it in the current period. Because reality has a way of intruding upon even the best laid non-money monetary policies at the Federal Reserve, the conundrums. So we had this three-year auction just on Tuesday, and it did not go as well as the one had in January. Back in January, remember, we had the hawkish FOMC meeting December, but we also had CPIs that were looking relatively benign. And the three-year auction that was conducted in January was actually ahead of the December CPI numbers that came out. So had hawkish Fed uncertainty about the CPI, but yet the three-year auction was a stellar one. In fact, the bid to cover on it was a 2.839, really good numbers, lots of demand for the three-year paper, even though at that time there was a lot of uncertainty about the hawkishness, potential hawkishness. This week's three-year auction was the complete opposite. Even though the CPI data continued to be benign and interpreted that way at the Fed, it seems as though the latest Fed statements, the statement last month or last week, excuse me, in raising rates, as well as speeches made uh, in, since that time, including uh, Jay Powell's appearance this week, have convinced those at the front end of the curve that what Jay Powell said might be might be that there might have to be more rate hikes, at least in the near term. So the bid to cover on the three-year auction this week or this month was 2.33 way down, I mean way down from the 2.839 for last month's. And the internals were pretty messy too. 92.221% of the auction was awarded at the high rate, and that high rate stopped way through this, the when issued price as well as the secondary market price at the time of the auction, which meant that there was a lot of fear about rates going up. The risk of more downside price in the instrument that was being bought at the three-year auction sale which has to be about more participants at the auction, more concerned about more rate hikes 
than anything else, which makes sense at the shorter end of the curve. So not willing to fight the Fed at the three-year. Fast forward just one day, nothing else changed in between. We still had all the, they had the rate hikes, we had the hawkish statement, we had the press conference, we've got Powell's statement this week, his speech this week, and the 10-year auction could not have been more different than the three-year. The 10-year auction was completely stellar. It was fantastic top to bottom. Demand all over for the 10-year auction, for the 10-year note. Uh, which was a benchmark offering. It wasn't a reopening. The high rate came out to be 3613, which was well below the when issued price, well below the secondary uh, secondary market price. The median was 355. The bid to cover, 2.656, which is another, I mean, that was among the highest in the 10-year series. So lots of demand for the 10-year note, not so much demand for the three-year note. Interest rate Thunderdome. It's only because those at the front end of the curve are wondering how much longer Jay Powell is going to go with his rate hikes. And that's a difficult proposition to really pin down because you're not talking about a mechanical central bank where you can say the money supply is well above what the central bank has set for its target. Therefore, we know the Fed is going to have to act in a very predictable manner. That's not what the Fed does. The Fed is not a central bank. Instead, they sit here, they look at all of this economic data, this uncertain, high-frequency, volatile, noisy data like the payroll report, and have to try to piece together some, some view of inflation inside the economy by looking backwards at all of this other stuff. It's supposed to be simple, easy, mechanical, but instead, it's a bunch of psychology. When will the Fed look at the payroll report in the same way the market will? That's not an easy thing to figure out. And so with a payroll report going in the opposite direction and wondering how the human beings are going to interpret this imperfect information already subjected to their own biases, you can understand why it's not so much Thunderdome, the Fed versus the market, as it is the Fed versus itself. The market is trying to figure out one thing only, when the Fed will, will realize the economy is not what it seems to be to them. To a lot of other people, in fact, the majority of other people, the economy is not fine. It is far from fine. Forget the payroll report. We've got so many announcements just recently that you can understand why markets at the 10-year can't get enough of longer-run treasury paper. Safe, liquid, U.S. dollar-denominated paper, rates going down over time, you betcha. Well, let's go through the list here. We had Dell. Dell announced that it's cutting 6,650 jobs because PC sales have plunged. We've talked about that before. The PC market makes it seem as if the economy isn't just in recession. The global economy might be experiencing really bad recession. So Dell's cutting 6,600 jobs. Ford says, well, we might have too many people in some places. And while Ford didn't announce a specific layoff, they basically pre-announced layoffs, even if we don't know to what extent just yet. Disney. Disney, the beleaguered entertainment company, announced 7,000 job, 7, job cuts. Zoom, the, one of the success stories of the pandemic, 
1,300 layoffs. Is that because the, the economy is normalizing after the pandemic? Well, you might make the case with Zoom, but some of the statements the company made made it sure made it clear that they're talking more about or they're more concerned about economic uncertainty. eBay, the trading of goods on its electronic platform. Uh, consumers buying and selling. If there's not enough consumers buying, enough not enough other consumers are going to sell. eBay's uh, results suffer so that they now going to cut 500 positions, which is 4% of its entire employees, entire number of employees. Hasbro, the toy maker, they said they're gonna get rid of a thousand jobs, which represents 15% of its global work, 15% of its workforce. That doesn't sound like 500,000 payrolls. Boeing, the big airplane manufacturer, airplane conglomerate, there's more airplanes than at Boeing. They said like Ford, we don't know how many layoffs we're going to do, but you better believe we're going to do a lot of layoffs. So just in the last day or so, Dell, Ford, Disney, Zoom, eBay, Hasbro, Boeing, and I'm sure there are a lot more that I haven't named, a lot of, a lot of lesser, lesser known corporate names that are at least contemplating, if not already beginning to act on the same economic uncertainty that isn't captured in the payroll report, but that Jay Powell and the FOMC are, they're absolutely aware of this, but they're not yet sure about what to make of all of that. Again, as I said before, the Thunderdome over interest rates is really the Fed versus the Fed, because the market is saying, we know where the payroll reports are going to go in the future. It's not gonna be more like 500,000, although that's possible. But by and large, over time, on average, the payroll reports are gonna look like the layoffs are going to, are already looking like. The payroll reports, the payroll data is going to catch up to where the layoffs are and the layoff announcements are, which means after the payroll reports do, then the Fed is likely to catch up to what the payroll reports are trying to catch up to. There's a time lag here. And that's really the issue. And that's why the front end of the yield curve is having so much problem trying to pin down where the terminal rate might be and how long the Fed will be able to keep up its rate hike preferences. How long will it be until the data turns, the data that they look at turns far enough that to finally convince them in this discretionary policy that they follow. The 10-year yield, all those that are buying at the 10-year, they're absolutely positively certain about what will happen. Well, we can't say for sure when. Some final notes about this, what will happen. Another big one, Maersk, Moeller Maersk, the big shipping company, which handles about one sixth of all global trade through its massive shipping lines and other forms of transportation. Maersk put, put out a company report which said that the Overconsumption of goods during the pandemic is now leading to, quote, a sharp correction in demand, which, again, that doesn't sound like a soft landing, especially since they also made reference to China. It's the, in, in regards to its key market of China, where a lot of goods originate and need to be shipped out of that country to the rest of all these de various destinations around the rest of the world, Mayor said 
China is struggling as many emerging markets are quote unquote vulnerable as the global economy becomes, here it comes again, more uncertain. So China, a big part of the reopening, soft landing, fever, all that stuff. Maris says, I don't see it. Nor did, as I said yesterday in yesterday's video, Baltic dry number down at a multi-year low, looking more like 2020 than anything else. We've also seen container rates continue to fall despite China reopening. The uh, uh, China to U.S. West Coast, or really East Asia to U.S. West Coast routes, the Baltic index from Fredo's still stuck around a low level. Overall, Their overall container index fell again sharply for the first time in a couple months, which may suggest that whatever reopening boost we might have gotten from China, that's been nixed by global recession. And in fact, Maersk's CEO went on Bloomberg TV, I think it was yesterday, and he said, we've been seeing demand falling from both the US and Europe, and it's a pretty sharp correction. I like how we use the term correction instead of, hey, at least it's economic uncertainty. In other words, what Maersk is seeing, what all these companies who are laying off uh, workers are seeing isn't uncertainty at all. They like to call it uncertainty because it sounds much better than what it is. This is an economic recession. And it looks to be both widespread, we're talking about trade all over the world, we're talking about biggest companies who are exposed to trade all over the world, demand all over the world, and we're talking about demand all over the world in a sharp correction. This is a recession, a widespread one, and one that is looking nastier by the day. And if you think that, and if you're in the marketplace, and you're in the money marketplace, and you have all of these contacts that you're borrowing and lending, borrowing money from and lending money to, who are telling you all of these things that are going on, we only see the surface of what's coming up through the news media and whatnot. Inside the market, there is knowledge of what's actually happening in the economy. And in that market, they're willing to bet heavily on longer dated instruments, rates going lower, even if they can't say for sure when Jay Powell will eventually be able to see the same things they already do. And as I've said continuously through this recession process, the data, the economy continues to follow, continues to follow the direction that has been set out by the markets, not the Fed. That's what the conundrums really have been. That's what this interest rate Thunderdome always adds up to be. Conundrums always win the Thunderdome. The Fed always follows the markets because the markets have the information that takes time to filter into high-frequency data that then takes even more time for those imperfect um, humans at the FOMC, I want to say something else there, who have all of their biases and have really bad training, bad worldview, bad economics, all that stuff. It takes them time to be convinced of what markets saw coming. I'm Jeff. This is your Rodale University. As always, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. As I really appreciate all the Eurodollar University members and our research subscribers. And until next time, do take care.